welcome to Vineyard KC West podcast. For more information, visit us at vineyardkcwest.com. All right, so we are in the midst of a um, message series called He Shall Be Called. And so it comes out of um, the Old Testament book, prophetic book of Isaiah. And we're going through these names that are throne names or um, they're theophoric names. So they're throne names. Like anytime a king would come to the throne, um, they would say, this is, th- these are the names that describe the king. This is what he's going to be like. Uh, but then these are theophoric names where the name of God is embedded in the name. Like it's, 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 um, it's part of what uh, God is like through this person. And so uh, Isaiah 9, 6 says, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so last week we looked at mighty God. We saw that, that God is the God, that he can do mighty things as you would expect of one that is God. Um, But we also see uh, that he is one that is involved in the little, little, little things of our lives, like the things we struggle with, the things that we uh, don't think anybody would care about, but God cares about those things and sees those things and sees us. And so we see one that is present with us and near. He's not distant. Today, we're going to look at everlasting father. So uh, everlasting father, it comes from two Hebrew words, and it's ad av. Ad av. Ad is the everlasting, and it means exactly what it says, like everlasting, like um, like always. It means forever, uh, and so uh, it's speaking of this uh, perpetualness of the Messiah Jesus, that he will be perpetual. You think of something in perpetual motion, or you think of like the, the Energizer bunny. It's just still going, still going. It's saying that this Messiah Jesus will just keep going, keep going, keep going, never stopping. But then it says father, so the Hebrew word av, and and it's speaking of, it's really simple. It's not complicated word. It's saying the father, the one that cares for his people. But there's something else there too. And it's this, is that the everlasting father is saying that, that it's also saying that that he's the father of all things. He's the father of all things that are eternal. He's the father of all things that are everlasting. Because in Jesus, we find fullness of life. We find all that really is. All that has ever been created and, and was created by Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He's the creator God. Now, we don't want to get messed up and say, well, he is the Father, right? In the Trinity, we have Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? Three persons and one God. We don't want to say he's the Father, uh, like God is like, He's the son now, and then he's the Holy Spirit, and then he's the the father. That's not what we're talking about. But it's putting the term father upon the Messiah, Jesus. And so he is the one that created all things, and he's the one that will keep all things going, that will keep going. So even though the Old Testament describes God as one that's full of life and overflowing life, and he describes God as one that... um, uh, is just abounding in love and in affection towards people. Um, even though the Old Testament shows that and Jesus confirms that, people can end up kind of thinking that God is a negative person. 
It's interesting. Like God is just always this negative person, just always saying, uh, you know, you messed up or don't do that. Don't, you know, and, and so God is just this kind of negative influence over them. Like they, they just kind of feel constructed, even though, okay, God loves me, but it's just this kind of thing. And uh, it's common tendency to see God as prohibiting, right? A parent, like I prohibit you to do that. Why? Because I prohibited you, okay? You know, it's that kind of idea. And, and, and also, is, see God is a negative, prohibitive, and dull person. Just kind of a dull person that is just kind of just way off and, and just dull, prohibitive, negative. And, you know, who is this really God? Even though you know all these truths, that he's, these, he's this dynamic person that's involved. And I felt this tension when I came to know Jesus because... Um, at a young age, I uh, liked to have fun and um, not always in ways that were healthy and whatever. And so, um, you know, preteen, teen, I, I um, had uh, a lot of fun. Uh, and so uh, when I met Jesus at 15, um, I, I, there was this tension of God was working mightily in my life and my heart, and yet I wanted to have fun. And so, um, and it was this, it wasn't this straight line, like everything got perfect. And, and so it was kind of messy, still is. Um, but I remember, I, I don't remember what age I was, maybe like 18 or so. And I remember somebody coming up to me and we were at this party and I actually wasn't doing anything bad. I was just at the party, right? Um, I wasn't doing anything that like, I think, you know, I would need to confess or whatever. Um, but this person says to me, he says, I thought you were a Christian. And, uh, and I was like, well, I am. And, and I realized that, like, just being there, it was kind of this thing, like, well, you can't be at a party if you're a Christian. And, and that's what I struggled with. And so I went away from that, like, oh, man, I can't even, like, be around things. Like, I can't even be at places that aren't, you know, uh, washed in the water, you know, holy or blessed. Or, you know, it was this thing, like, you have the sacred, like, well, the church. I'm going to go to church all the time, not go to parties. And then you have the secular. And, and what I realized over time is, like, no, that's actually not true. Like, um, because I got a view of God that was, like, negative. Well, you can't do that. You can't do that. Stay away from that. Don't have fun. And um, I, when I was a youth pastor, even, I'll confess something even bigger. Um, when I was a, a, a new youth pastor... We were on this trip in Yosemite, and, um, and I was just trying to, like, keep things solid and set and, and, and on moving forward and keep everybody safe. We, didn't, we had never lost anybody to Yosemite, and so we didn't want to. And, and so uh, I was just kind of all over the kids the whole time, and high school students backpacking. And, and uh, I mean, there was real dangers, uh, you know, lakes and bears and waterfalls and all kinds of stuff, but they did a skit. One of the last nights, we'd always have to do kids do skits, different groups, and do skits to represent things from the trip. And so, um, in the group, they said, uh, and I was like early twenties, and they said they got to the end of the skit and they're acting it out, and they were acting out the leaders is what they were doing. And so they got to me, and, and this one kid, Dan, he was playing me, and he goes, he walks up and he goes, "Stop it! None of the f word." And they're like, "What's?" And then the kids go, "What's the f word?" And they go. And he goes, fun, no fun. And so, so I, right, that carried into a little bit where it was this, uh, that, cause that was my image of God in some ways is, is that, is that he wasn't fun. And the whole time God was like, no, no. And, and it was right around that time too, that I was driving through this windy road, uh, near my home. And all of a sudden I imaged God different 
because there was this fun song on. It wasn't Christian or anywhere near Christian. I don't think anybody in the band was Christian. And it was just this fun song. And I was kind of, you know, you get a good song on, you're kind of hopping in your seat, just fun and driving through. And all of a sudden, I got this kind of picture of God dancing. It was, it was the strangest thing. And I said to myself, I said, I said, wow, what's that? And the, and the Lord spoke to my heart. And he says, what, Cody, you don't think I dance? And so it was just this, it was this, it opened up in me. And right around the same time too, um, this wonderful youth leader, Trudy, she comes up to me and she puts her hand on my shoulder and she goes, I'm praying for you. I said, okay. And she goes, well, for what? She goes, I'm praying for joy for you. And I'm like, I have joy, you know? <laughs> and so, so she just, it was just this time in my early 20s where that whole thing shifted. But it was because I felt like I had to just get it right all the time. Like God was just looking for me to get it right. And if I got it right, everything would be good. But God's like, no, I want you to be yourself and live life. And that's how I am. I'm abundant. And, and yeah, as you hang out with me, you will live your life more the way I intended people to live their lives. But don't be like, see me as this negative killjoy. And so, this kind of mindset, uh, J.B. Phillips, he showed us some things last week uh, from his book, Your God is Too Small. Uh, he showed us last week about like the managing director, and we looked at as far as somebody far off with, with Mighty God. This week, we look at this idea of the pale Galilean. So Jesus was the Galilean from that area, and, and it's this idea of this pale Galilean. And this is what he writes about people that would have this view of Jesus, that he's just this pale, kind of negative, just kind of person. Such people, naturally enough, can only by strenuous efforts maintain their narrow loyalty. They do not get the chance to admire and love and worship in wordless longing one who is overwhelmingly splendid and beautiful and lovable. At best, they can only love and worship because their God is a jealous God. And it is his will and commandment that they should. Their lives are cramped and narrow and joyless. Now listen to this, because their God is the same. It was A.W. Tozer that said, the most important thing about somebody is what they think about when they think of God. Because our lives will reflect that and reflect that how we live it out. And so you and I can struggle with this because we can view God in a transactional way. Because you say, well, how can I read of Jesus? How can I read of God and all that he does, but then end up seeing him as a person that is negative or dull or prohibitive? How can I do that if I really am honest with the text? Well, it's this. We can end up focusing on the actions of the God that does these things versus focusing on the one who does the actions. In other words, we can know all the right things about this God that loves people so extravagantly through Jesus. We can know all the right statements, all the right theology, and yet we miss the one that is actually doing it. And so we can tell everybody, well, this is how it went down. This is what happened. And there's these things, and I'm going to tell you, but we don't get this intimacy. It's like the facts are there without the feelings. And we end up not really knowing the one that does this. We know the persona. It's like, um, I remember introducing uh, one of my staff members to uh, like her musical hero, somebody that I know. And so I introduced her to, to the musical hero and, um, it, and she couldn't talk. Like she just kind of, hey, you know, that's about it, right? And so we get done and, and I'm just like, hey, what's going on? And so it was, she couldn't transfer over to like personally knowing this person, even though there was somebody that knew this person for years and years and years. And it was like, I'm introducing you. 
The, the, the personal interaction couldn't come. And yet the persona still lived on. It was just this idea. It was, they depersonalized in some ways the person. That's what people do with famous people. Like they, there's no way they could ever talk to like the person that they, they adore and think is so amazing, which really in the end of the day depersonalizes them. They're just this idea. And we can do that with God. We can know all these things about him. We can declare how great he is. But if we don't have the intimacy and get close enough that he can love me and, 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 and show me affection and, and even offend me, that God would even offend me, that, that things wouldn't work out the way that I prayed and prayed and prayed. And God says, no, I have something different for you. I have something better for you. And so let's listen on one happening where we see Jesus revealed as a celebratory, uh, as, he, as he celebratory brings about new life. Because the good news is Jesus reveals that God is overflowing with life. God is absolutely overflowing with life and love. And he invites us into a fullness of life. That's really who God is. So Isaiah, um, Matthew or Luke, one of those, some book in the Bible, <laughs> Luke 15. I'll tell you what, I have all kinds of stuff in here. And sometimes it just comes out in the wrong order. And so Luke 15, if you know the chapter, uh, really points at, about the idea of lost things. You see a lost coin, uh, you see a lost sheep, and then you see a lost son. And so you have, you have two sons and you have a father. The father is wealthy and one of the sons decides, you know, I don't want this anymore. I want my inheritance now. And in that culture, it was like saying to your father, you know, father, you're dead to me. You're dead to me. I just want everything that you would give me. And I want to take it and go on my own way. And so the father actually gives it over. He actually says here, take it, take, take all that you desire. And the interesting thing is there's another son. The way it was built up is that when the father did that, he would have had to give the other half to the other son as well, the older son. And so the, it, it tells the story, we're not going to read all of it, but it tells the story that the younger son takes it and he just squanders it. He just squanders it on, on uh, you know, just wild living, kind of like me in my teens, early teens, just doing whatever. And, uh, and, and all of a sudden he comes to the end of his money. He comes to the end of his resources and he's actually working for somebody like uh, working with pigs, you know, which for a Jewish person, it was just like the, no way. I mean, the pigs were unclean. And, uh, you know, he was eating like the things that pigs would eat, kind of. That's the picture. But then it says he came to his senses one day. And this is what it says. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So the everlasting father is revealed here. That's what Jesus is doing. He's revealing himself as everlasting father. He's revealing to these people what he is actually like. And so the son shows us that he remembers the character of his father. He remembers that he's generous. And those that are with him have an abundant life. Even his servants have more than he had. Even the lowest servant was overflowing and had abundance in his life. Jesus is showing that no matter how you've performed, no matter how good you are, or how bad you are in relationship with me as the father, you have abundance in your life. 
You have abundance because his love for you is not based upon your performance. His love for you is not based upon anything that you can do or can't do. His love for you is absolutely perfect. It's unconditional. It's perfect love for you. And then we also see that the father is, that the son reveals that the father is forgiving because the son wouldn't have even thought that. Like he wouldn't even thought that I could return and be forgiven if he didn't know this about the father. And so Jesus is hinting, this is what I'm like. That even though you, you, you waste everything, even though you run from me, even you, though you walk away from me, I will always forgive you if you come and be forgiven, right? That's the only way that you can't be forgiven is you don't want to be forgiven, right? Uh, in the Old Testament, it speaks of uh, one who is forgiven much hardens their heart. And so if the forgiveness ends up being just kind of a trite thing where, oh, it's okay, no big deal, eventually we, we harden our hearts and we don't want to be forgiven. And so, but when we come to Jesus, he's always willing. There's not anything that he won't, that he won't actually forgive except for unbelief, which is, I don't want to be forgiven. I won't come to you. And so Jesus just says, come, I'm a forgiving one. And then also too, we see that he's interested in redeeming and renewing relationship. Like that's what we see about Jesus as the everlasting father. He's interested in renewing and redeeming relationship, right? You hear stories of, of people that, um, uh, sometimes, and I mean, not stories, right? In this room, we've all been there where we have uh, things in between, barriers between our family members and us, where maybe we don't speak for years. I heard a story the other day where, where um, uh, you know, somebody, you know, hadn't spoken to their, um, you know, to their, to their brother for, for like 10 years. You know, I mean, do you even remember what went wrong at that point for that to happen? I, I mean, maybe both people weren't interested. Maybe one person was interested in redeeming and, and maybe, maybe the other wasn't. I don't know. But we see about Jesus, we know that he's interested in redeeming and creating new relationship. He always is. And I've tested that, people. As, as a young Christian coming to know Jesus, man, I, I, tested, I tested his forgiveness. I tested his love. I tested that and I ran and he just kept chasing me down and chasing me down and chasing me down and just drawing me close. You know, I, I, I read scripture and I saw that he always kept the, the wild ones closest, right? You know, come on, come with me. And so we also see that the ever-loving father is overflowing with life. Look at verse 20. It says, so he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. So the, fi- the, fa- the son finds that the father is ready and overflowing with life. That's how Jesus is. And I've, I've found that true. As, as millions and millions of people have found that true, that, that Jesus is overflowing with life, just overflowing and ready. Like he's ready, like he's at the door. When, when our oldest son, Wyatt, was a little guy, we only had one child in, in, uh, at this point, and uh, he was like under one years old or about one or something. And, um, and the, when the trash truck was come, would come, the, the, the trash truck uh, person was, uh, to him was his hero. You talk about heroes, or it was just, it would come up and he would hear it, trash truck, trash truck, trash truck. That was like his first words, trash truck. And he'd be at the door, just like so excited to watch the trash truck come and be put in there. Just so excited, trash truck. But he was at the door, ready for it. We would tell him, it's the day, and he was ready to go. That's how God is for you. 
Like you are actually the one that he's looking for and wanting to be with and be close to. He's right at the door waiting for you. And so Jesus is describing God's ever or the everlasting father, his own heart for each person. Like this is his heart. It's not just something he puts on when I guess I have to, but this is always his heart. He's always ready to go and be with you. He's always ready. And uh, he's, a, he, he's ready to cross um, like uh, uh, social and religious norms. The, the father, men like this uh, in his stature in this time, they wouldn't run. It, it, was, it was considered just kind of against a social norm. They wouldn't run. And yet he sees him afar off, which shows that he's looking for him. He had maybe looked at the horizon for a long time. Just will he come today? Will he come today? And that's the, that's the heart of Jesus, the everlasting father. He just looks for a heart to just turn to him a little bit. And he comes running. He absolutely comes running. And he sees him and he's filled with compassion for him. And he has affection for him. Just hugs and kisses for him. You know, you may have seen um, the picture of, uh, um, uh, gosh, whose is it? Is it uh, the embrace of, is it uh, Renoir? Who, who, I don't know. I, I always do this. I don't know why I do this. I'll say things without knowing all the info. But there's this beautiful picture of uh, the, the prodigal son coming in. And the son is on his knees, just weeping. And he has his, he has his head just laid against the side of the father and the father is just it's, just, it's just beautiful. That's how Jesus is with all those that would come running to him and he's ready to go to them. And in verse 21, it says, the ever, we see that the everlasting father celebrates. The son said to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. So he had his speech prepared, right? And he's like, man, I got, I got to give the speech. But the father is just, he's not focused on the speech. He's not focused on that. He's focused on the heart coming to him. He's focused on him. And so, but the father said to his servants, like he doesn't even respond. He's like, son, I know you. I know you. I made you. And, and, and he, so, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Whose robe would have been the best? It would have been the father's. So he clothes him with his own clothes. He clothes him with his own thing. And uh, I mean, you think, well, that's not a big deal. Like that's going on in my house right now. I'll tell Michelle, I'll say, hey, I, I'm missing jeans. I'm missing socks and things. Where are they? And there's these three large human beings that just take my stuff. Like they just take my things. And, and, and then every once in a while, Wyatt, you know, because his legs are bigger than mine now, he'll come in and just be like, here, you can have them back. They don't fit me. Like, what, what do you, why did you even have them? You know, he's outgrowing them. And so, but, but, you know, it's kind of a thing. This is my stuff, right? These are my things. And the father's like, everything I have, my best robe I put upon you. Uh, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Uh, whose ring would it be? It would be the father's. Uh, and then it says, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, so they begin to celebrate. So the son's speech is not the focus, and he just just overwhelms him, just overwhelms him. You know, I, I know when I've hardened my heart, and um, you know whether I'm just busy, right? That's my temptation now. 
The temptations aren't the same as when I was 15-year-old, 16-year-old doing that stuff. Now the temptation is being, getting busy for Jesus, getting busy just doing ministry, right? And ministry can become my God. Ministry can be the way that I, that I sin, right? Where I'm just so busy and the Lord's like, hey, you know, I, I, I don't need a business partner. I need you. Like, I want to be with you. I want your heart. I want your life. And so when I, even now, when I, when I get to that place and I come, the Lord is just so gracious. You know, he's never just say, no, hey, keep, I'm, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not, cl- I'm closed for business. He's never done. It. He's like, yeah, come to me, son. Come to me. Let me love you. Let me fill you up. Let me, let me be with you. And so lastly, we see that the everlasting father uh, confronts this prohibitive doll God. He confronts the prohib- prohibited doll God in the older son. Because the older son pictured his father as one that was prohibitive, doll, and negative. And so he actually never enjoyed life with his father. It's like what J.B. Phillips wrote. And so let's read it. It says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. Notice, you see the everlasting father again going out, going out, going out. He's not this person that's just, oh, we'll see if I let you back in. He's always going out. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because his brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so the tension is, is that the the son was always with the father and he knew all kinds of stuff about him, but he never thought that he was a celebrating father. I don't know in... I could be wrong, but I would think, and this is all a story that Jesus creates, but I would think that the older son never thought of until this point of like, well, why wouldn't you give me a goat to celebrate with my friends? He never thought of it because he never had that, that personal fun relationship with the father. He never saw him one that parties that celebrates, that has fun, that dances, that has joy. He never saw him in that way. And yet now he sees him in this light. But the key to experiencing all that God has is right here in this verse. You see, he says, you are always with me. And then here's the key. And everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. Here's the reality against the lie today. The lie of the enemy from the beginning has always been God's holding out on you. He has so much more for you than you could ever imagine, but he's holding out on you. He's trying to trick you. And if you do the right thing, maybe you'll get it. And you have to rub him like a genie and he'll maybe give it to you like a wish. The reality is, is that everything that God has is yours through Jesus Christ. Everything. And he owns everything. Like everything is God's. 
He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And that's just a statement of saying like, yeah, he's got everything. But he gives it through relationship. And so as we know him and walk with him, he gives it to us. You see, the idea that, that we lack, the idea, just kind of a spirit or mindset of poverty, just is such a lie. You are rich and abundant today because your father that you have relationship has everything. The Bible actually speaks of that you are seated in heavenly places with Jesus. If you're a follower of his, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus and accepted his sacrifice on the cross for you, and you believe that you rose from the grave with him, then you are seated in heavenly places. No matter how good your business is today, no matter how good your job is, no matter where your finances are today, you are seated in heavenly places, which means that everything that God has is yours. And everything that Jesus has, you are a co-heir with Jesus. And everything is Jesus's because he went to the cross. He laid down his life. He gave everything. You don't have to. He did for you. And he defeated death itself and rose from the grave. So everything that he has is yours. And the lie is, is that you have to piece together. You have to try to get it together. There's abundance. There's abundance for you in Jesus. And so that's the key to this. And so that's the good news. Jesus Christ reveals that God is overflowing with life. And he invites us to that abundance. He absolutely invites us to it through relationships. So, so what, what can we do? Um, like, how do we take this home? Think through your image of God. Like, think through him. I, I know it, for me as a kid, the closest that I got was that God, like the big flat clouds in central California where I grew up on our property, I'd look up and just lay on my back, look at the clouds, and I'd see the big cloud. I'm like, that's God's bed. That's just like where he chills. Like, he just lays there and is there. But it was just so distant. I didn't have, I didn't go to church or so I was just like, that's God's bed. That's, that's God, right? That was my image. And then it was like, he was the God that answered my prayers during sporting events. But you see, when my parents divorced, when I was an early teenager and, and I was struggling through that, I didn't know that God was a God that would care for my heart. That like when I wept, he wept. When, when I hurt, he hurt with me. He was near. Not only that, but he, he could heal me. He could heal things and make them better. I didn't know. I found that out later. So think through your image of God and and how you've seen him as prohibitive and dull, maybe. Maybe you've seen him as negative. Like that's his approach towards you. Yet he has life for you. And then think through too, like how might you live different if God really is celebratory and overflowing with life? Last thing. This is... uh, This is such a great verse. It's so good. This is God's heart for you. Um, He just says in Jeremiah 31, 3, um, it says, the Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. That's the everlasting father's heart for you. And this thing you guys is, is there's this battle of like, the stuff that won't last that Jesus is real clear about. And then the stuff that will last, you see, he keeps drawing us to the real thing. 
Like he keeps drawing you to relationship and people and relationship with him and others. And he keeps drawing you to the real thing because he wants you to be attached and experience that which will last. He's the everlasting father of all that he created that will last. And his heart for you, I remember a story of a, um, of a young boy and he, uh, he, got this, uh, uh, he got this kit for a little boat and in a little wooden boat with a sail and everything. And he, he just meticulously over weeks put all the pieces together with the glue and he made it exactly the way the kit said it should be and put it together and he just looks at it and he just adores it. Just this boat. And so he, when he got it done, it was this kind of windy and rainy day. And, and so he, 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 there was this little creek near his house. And, and so he just said, okay, I have to float this thing. And so he takes it out to the creek and he's running along the creek, but the current picks up too fast and it takes off and he loses it. And the, the stream wound throughout town and he lost the boat, the thing that he made. He adored it. And so he was heartbroken. And so one day, the boy's walking through town and there's this little shop there, uh, just kind of odds and ends and things. And he looked and he saw his boat in the window. There it was. It was unmistakable. He knew it because he crafted it. He made it exactly the way it was supposed to be. And so he walked into the shop owner and, and he said, well, that's my boat. And the shop owner said, great, $10 for your boat. So the boy goes and he gets the money and he pays the price and he walks out of the store and he looks at it and he says, you are twice mine. I made you and I bought you. And that's the everlasting father's heart for you. He made you before he knew you before the foundations of the earth. He made you and knit you in your mother's womb. And then when you were lost, he bought you by his blood as shed life. And he looks at you and he says, you're twice mine. You're twice mine. And he says, I'm the everlasting father. I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. So lean into me. All that I have is yours through relationship. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit vineyardkcwest.com.